Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're in the red zone. That's a recognized time. It's the most dangerous time period for incoming female freshmen. It's from the first day of school to the Thanksgiving break. It's when females are at most risk for sexual assault on college campuses. We're going to talk about this important topic today with Brenda Tracy, who's speaking out now 17 years after she was assaulted near campus in Corvallis, Oregon. We'll also be talking with Marjorie Schwartz-Nielsen, producer of the documentary film It Happened Here which presents personal testimonials of five survivors who describe their experiences surviving sexual assault and the sometimes even worse aftermath uh, being met with uh, apathy, disbelief, blame, and retaliation. Hope you'll join us as well, and uh, the program is uh, coming right up. We begin with a conversation I had yesterday with a representative from Utah State University's uh, SAVI, or a Sexual Violence Office, uh, S-A-A-V-I is the site if you'd like to go and uh, check it out. Talked with uh, Amanda Gibb from that office, and uh, we talked about uh, just a couple of things, just a brief conversation, wanted to get them in here. Um, we began talking about this idea of the red zone, and I asked her why. Why is this such a particularly vulnerable time? Um, I mean, there's some speculation about, you know, especially those freshman girls are are coming and they're experiencing being independent for the first time, maybe going to parties and experimenting and doing these different things, um, which puts them at a higher risk. Mm. So what what services do you provide? And are, are, are you getting an increase or decrease in people? Yeah, this year we have seen a dramatic increase. We're actually kind of scrambling to make sure we can okay. keep up. But it's great because that means that people are aware of our office as a resource and people are getting help. Mm -hmm. Um, So primarily we would do advocacy. That would be, we do our intake assessment and see what it is the client needs, let them know what their reporting options are. So they can report through law enforcement or being here on campus, they can also report through the Title IX office here on campus um, and letting them know or helping them to get medical attention if they need it. And and also to get back on track with classes because it can be really hard to go to classes when you're having anxiety and depression or PTSD, you know, and you're triggered by being on campus or being around different people that may remind you of your perpetrator and things like that. Um, and so we, on campus, we serve a special role in in helping students to get back on track with school, whether that's they need coping mechanisms to go to class or maybe their professor can provide accommodations to help them get through that time. Or sometimes people even just need to drop out, and that's okay if that's what they need to do, and we can help them to do that. So people, an increase in a number of people availing themselves of your services, does, mm-hmm. does that mean there's been an increase in sexual assaults? Um, I really doubt it. I really think that it is just an increase in people reaching out to get help, which is great. Um, and I think you're trying to get some numbers. Right. You're, you're going to be sending out a survey. and Yeah. So um, I'm working on, for my research class, we're doing a survey to find um, self-reported data of sexual assaults as well as attitudes towards sexual assaults and reporting and acceptance of like rape myths and things like that. Um, so we'll be sending that out probably not until next spring or maybe even next fall. But if you see that in your USU email, please, please fill that out because that will be really helpful for us. Mm-hmm. You mentioned rape myths. 
Tell me about that. Yeah, so rape myths, um, they basically contribute to victim blaming. So that would be because you were drinking, it's your fault that you were raped. Or based on what you're wearing, it's your fault that you were raped. Those sorts of things that really, when it boils down to it, aren't true. But for some reason, we still perpetuate them in our culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so how to just briefly how to keep how to keep safe? This is you know the, the we're coming to the end of the red zone, mm-hmm. um, especially in vulnerable time. But of course, any time you know it's a, could be a potential for sexual assault. Yeah. What What do you advise? Yeah. Women. Um. Well, I mean, I'd like to preface this by saying no matter what you do, if you are sexually assaulted, it's never your fault. No matter what you did to try to prevent it or what you didn't do, it doesn't matter. That perpetrator still made that decision. Um, But some things we really like to stress bystander intervention. So that would be like watching out for your friends or if you're at a party and something doesn't seem right, it seems like somebody's coming on too strong to another individual, especially if that individual's intoxicated. Um, just to say something or get help from somebody else if you don't feel comfortable. But it can be as simple as just asking a question like, are you okay? Or even just providing a distraction like, hey, I think, I think I've seen you in my class so that you put yourself in that situation so those two people don't end up alone together. Mm. Um, and in terms of your own safety, I would say keeping a buddy system, don't accept drinks that you don't you didn't pour yourself um just those basic kinds of safety things mm-hmm. so that is Amanda Gibb with Utah State University's Sexual Assault and Anti-Violence Information Office and we appreciate her uh, coming in today she wasn't able to join us uh, on the program or yesterday wasn't able to join us on the program today um we'll give out uh, that information later in the program as well uh the website is savvy s a a v i is is how you can google that We're going to be talking about uh, sexual assault, especially on campus uh, today, and we now bring in uh, Brenda Tracy, who is a uh, registered nurse. Uh, She is a sexual violence prevention consultant at Oregon State University, and uh, she has an experience that she'll tell us as well. She's speaking out now after uh, she was assaulted, I guess, near the campus of Oregon State University some 17 years ago. Brenda Tracy, uh, welcome to the program. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, we also bring on Marjorie Schwartz-Nielsen, who's the producer of the documentary film It Happened Here, which presents personal testimonials of five survivors who describe their experiences surviving sexual assault, only to be met with apathy, disbelief, blame, and retaliation from authorities when they tried to report their uh, crime. Important uh, film out. Marjorie Schwartz-Nielsen, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Let me start with uh, Brenda Tracy. Um, you... Uh, I'm not sure when you started speaking out, but certainly I encountered your story in Sports Illustrated, um, mm-hmm. and um, you—it's—it's it's a pretty impactful story. I wonder if we could just uh, maybe jump in. You—you you, you write first. I couldn't say the following words without getting a lump in my throat, but then you go on to say, "I start a lot of speaking engagements with that sentence. I was gang raped." Yes, I do. Um, and I actually just came forward um, a year ago this month um, and told my story. My gang rape did happen um, quite a few years ago. It's been uh, 1998, but um, as many survivors know, it, it never goes away. It doesn't, 
it doesn't really get better. You you learn to cope and and deal with it in different ways, but the trauma remains the same. Um, but yes, a year ago I came forward, and every time I speak, I I do say um, my name is Brenda Tracy, and I was gang raped by four football players, and two of them went to Oregon State University, and. It does. It's hard. It's hard to say it. It's. It's. Um, I've carried a lot of uh, shame and embarrassment over something that was done to me, um, but internalized it on into myself um, and struggled for many years with it. Um, and then when I just decided I couldn't struggle with it anymore, and I didn't know what to do anymore and how I could exist anymore, um, not speaking out and not dealing with it, I, I decided to come forward, and John Canzano and the Oregonian ran my story uh, one year ago this week. What's been, what's, what has it meant to you personally now, a, a year since you started speaking out? What's what's that done for you? You know, it's been an amazing experience for me, because I think, you know, when I came forward back then, I reported to the police promptly about the gang rape. I had a rape kit done. I, because of the backlash and because of the information I was given by the DA, I decided to drop the charges and not pursue the criminal process. Um, but I did go to the university, and I did report there. Um, and I assumed, like many of us, that something would have been done at the time. I trusted the university to do something. I found out later they didn't. My rapists were given a one-game football suspension and 25 hours community service. Even though the even though the school had a police report where they confessed to raping me, um, and I guess the day I came forward with my story, I felt like you know you have this shame of this rape, and many of us try to forget it and we try to move on and we try to be the person that we want to be. And I I tried to do that. I, I went on to school and I became a registered nurse and I was a single mom and I was trying to be this person in the public eye, but I had this this thing that had happened to me that was so shameful and so hurtful and so traumatizing to me, and I felt like I was two people. Um, and I lived my life as two people for a long time. And the day that that story came out, I felt like I became one person. I felt like that, speaking my truth and standing in my truth of who I was and what had happened to me, made me feel like those two lives had merged and I became one person. Hmm. And I, I've i been quoted several times as saying, I felt like that day I was set free from my prison of shame and silence. And, hmm. I, and I really honestly believe that. And today I'm, I would say that I'm moving towards thriving, really not just surviving anymore, but thriving and working on legislation and, and speaking to other women and especially to younger college women that I see these days who are, are strong in speaking out right away, not waiting 16 years like I did, um, but trying to say to them that, you know, there there is life after this. Um, you know, 16 years later, I'm here. I'm, I'm still standing. I'm still I'm speaking out, too. And it, 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 it will be okay, and, it, and it's going to be okay. So. I mean, let me turn to, I, I, I'm glad you're, I'm glad this has been empowering for you. This is, it's an important theme. I, I, that's a theme that I saw in the film, uh, Marjorie Schwartz Nielsen. Uh, it happened uh-huh. here uh, that these young women, at, at a certain point, and some of them, I guess, typically said, "Well, I'm, you know, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to get into further trouble. I don't want to backlash. I don't want." But, but at a certain point, like all of them, decided, "Well, I'm going to stand up and say something." 
Well, so many of the women that we met and the women in the film um, came forth and took action when they saw their perpetrators assailing other women. And they saw that it wasn't just them. This was going on um, with no consequences. And they decided to take action and come forth. So it's for themselves, but very often it is for the greater community. They're trying to help other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they realize that their perpetrators are not just, you know, these are not one-offs. These are serial offenders. These are predators that are moving through the campus with immunity, and that's got to change. Sure. So that's when they came forth. Very often they did not report. Very often they did not go to the police. Um, but when they saw multiple offenses, they they couldn't stay quiet, and they broke their own silences. Mm-hmm. Let's hear, uh, we're going to hear a few clips from the film. Uh, let's hear clip number five here. This is... Uh talking about a myth that I think is still prevalent, and, and this is an expert uh, exploding that myth. Let's hear we know that stranger rape is about 10 or 15 percent of, of all rapes. The vast majority are non-stranger. The, the new myth about the, sh- the non-stranger rapist is that, you know, he's somehow just basically a nice guy. You know, he got drunk. Um, there was this kind of um, miscommunication, some kind of hazy gray thing that happened. Um, around consent. It was confusing around consent. And he didn't really mean it. It was kind of an accident of circumstance. And of course, he would never do it again. And that's the myth about the non-stranger rapist. And of course, it is completely contradicted by the, the research on who these guys really are, you know, the guys who are really doing the vast majority of these rapes, who are serial offenders. And they're certainly not making mistake after mistake after mistake. They're not basically nice guys. They're sexual predators. Um, and, and they need to be investigated and targeted through either prosecution or judicial processes as sexual predators. So that's a clip from the film that happened here. That's doc, Dr. David Lisak, clinical psychologist and forensic uh, consultant. Um, so Marjorie Schwartz notes, I wonder if you talk about that a bit. We, we had the myth that, um, you know, it's strangers, and, and statistics don't bear that out. It's usually someone that the woman knows. And now this, this other kind of myth is, is, is I guess, crept in. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you so much for that clip, because most of the conversation nationally and on this level as well has been about women and prevention and response. Uh, um, and we're never talking about the perpetrators. And Dr. David Lisak has been researching rapists for decades and speaks to the predatory nature of this issue. Um, he's absolutely right. The first myth that's debunked is it's a stranger in an alley with a knife and a mask. We know now it, these are acquaintances, these are people in your community, in your clubs, in your classes, on your campus, and they create environments very often where it becomes very murky territory. There's a lot of alcohol, which we know is the number one date rape drug, and the, you know, the environment is kind of fostered for these predators to move on through. And then there's the deniability of, well, there was some alcohol, yes, there was consent, and they continue to move through the community. Um, We do have to look at them as predators. We have to look at them as serial offenders, like he says, and they have to be investigated accordingly. You could watch the behavior of the women after they alleged 
assault and you see their behavior spiral down and then look at the men watch their behavior afterwards are they still going to parties are they still feeding women alcohol are they still targeting new students that may not know other students when they get here as you mentioned in the red zone in the early parts of school you have students that are coming to a new community a new state very often and they don't know anybody so they have nowhere to turn and these predators target them they can see who's a little marginalized maybe a little shy and you walk into a room and they start feeding you alcohol and the environment creates the possibilities for these predators. Brenda Tracy, I want to uh, um, have your response to this. Um, and statistics bear this out. It's, it's overwhelmingly it's going to be someone that the young woman knows. Yes, it absolutely is. I mean, that is absolutely the majority of what's happening. And I knew my rapist. Um, I was I was drugged and I was brutally raped for six to seven hours by four men and what happened on the school level is later in the in the newspaper because my story uh, hit the media right after was that you know coach riley the football coach at the time had said that they they were they were good guys and they just made a bad choice and we see that a lot we see that it's just you know they're nice guys they're good kids but they just made a bad choice and i think that's a bunch of crap. <laughs> um, it is a purposeful act. I mean, I was purposely drugged. Women are purposely fed alcohol. Um, we They put us in situations where they can um, alienate us, um, get us alone, and it's it's not just a bad choice. It's not an accident. Rape is not an accident. It, it is a purposeful act, and it is not the victim's fault, and we need to start we need to start understanding that this is a purposeful act carried out by an individual. It's not an accident, and it's not just a bad choice. It's a criminal act, and it's a crime. And especially when we're dealing with athletes on campus, um, I feel like we are allowing athletic ability to to trump everything else, and it's 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 very unfair, and it's, and it's not okay, and it has to stop. And I'm I'm very proud of all the women who are standing up and speaking out about this because we really need this to change. Let's take a break. When we come back, more with Brenda Tracy and Marjorie Schwartz Nielsen. We'll hear a couple more clips from the documentary film. It happened here. We're talking about sexual assault, especially on campus. And if you'd like to join the conversation, we hope that you will. 1-800-826-1495, toll-free number, 1-800-826-1495. You can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We talked earlier with uh, Amanda Gibb from Savvy, Sexual Assault and Anti-Violence Information Office at Utah State University. Uh, of course, there are many other resources. I'd love to hear about that. If you uh, know of a resource in your community, or perhaps you have a story, I'd love to hear from you. 1-800-826-1495 or upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about this quote from Sports Illustrated, Brenda Tracy writing. She says, my gang rape happened 17 years ago, and statistically nothing has changed. How do we improve the numbers? How do we prevent my story from happening again? I want to talk about victim blaming, which I uh, believe, and then certainly... If, Watch the film. It happened here. You you know that it's still alive and well. More following the break. The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu/hr. 
Sleep is essential and can make a big difference in your quality of life, but yet millions of people suffer from lack of sleep. Adults should aim for an average of seven to nine hours of sleep per night. Here are some useful tips in ensuring a good night's rest. Stick to the same bedtime and wake up times. Practice a relaxing bedtime ritual. This can include avoiding bright lights, such as your phone and computer, which can activate your brain and instead engage in calming activities such as reading. Sleep on a comfortable mattress and pillow. When you have too much to do or too many thoughts racing through your head, your sleep can suffer. Simple tasks such as being organized, setting priorities, and making lists can help relieve stress and help you wind down for the day. Keep it cool. A temperature that is too hot or too cold can interfere with your sleep. Aim for a temperature between 60 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit. This is Nicole Jackson for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Remember to live well, work well, and be well. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're talking about a very serious subject, sexual assault on campus. And we're talking with Brenda Tracy, who is a registered nurse, and uh, she is sexual violence prevention consultant at Oregon State University. Marjorie Schwartz-Nielsen is producer of the documentary film It Happened Here. It presents personal testimonials of five survivors of sexual assault. You can join us at 1-800-826-1495. We'd love to know about resources in your community and maybe just your thoughts or your story. Uh, one, uh, the email is upraxis at gmail.com. We're on Twitter. You could use the hashtag AccessUtah. So, Brenda Tracy, I'm sure as, as a survivor of sexual assault, you know, you go through so many emotions, but one of them has got to be you're, you're seeking accountability, seeking justice, right? And it, it seems like you yes. certainly didn't get that. To one game suspension and, and some hours of community service? Yeah. Um, you know, at the time when I, I, I did want justice, and that was why I reported my rape to police. That's why I got a rape kit done. I expected the wheels of justice to start turning. Um, and what happened was I was told that I had a he-said-she-said case by the DA. I was told that it would be a difficult case to prove. I was told I'd have to go through four separate trials. And I was not strong enough to, at the time, to deal with all of that. Um, I was receiving death threats. I was in the media. Friends and family turned on me. Everyone, you know, picked sides, and, and basically everyone picked the athlete's side. So... I decided to drop the charges. I did not. I no longer cooperated. But because many of us want to help others and we don't want this to happen to anyone else, I did go to the campus. Um, I reported what had happened to me. They obtained the police report. They knew what happened to me. They had the statements of the men. Um, and I assumed that they did something. I, at the time, I didn't know what they did. The only thing I had read was about the one-game suspension in the newspaper. Um, and I kind of just tried to wipe my hands of it and walk away from it and forget about it. Um, and not, and I tried to just pretend like it didn't happen anymore. Uh, but when I came out last year, John Canzano did an investigation and went back to find out what really happened back then. And what I found was that I was lied to by the DA. The DA had taped confessions from my rapist that said they raped me. Um, they, they lied to me, basically. Um, they could have gone forward with the case. They had DNA. They had condoms. They had evidence. Everything I said corroborated. They had confessions. They had everything they needed to prosecute them. Uh, the school had the police report. They knew exactly what they did. They had their confessions, and everyone chose to do nothing. And I found out all of this extra information just this last year. And 
it's devastating and it doesn't make any sense to me and it angers me that all these years later the same exact thing is still happening and my goal now in speaking out is to figure out how can we stop that from happening still today because it it is so upsetting that we've made absolutely no progress because people say to me well that happened a long time ago that doesn't happen today yes it does mm-hmm. it absolutely happens today we absolutely have police and DAs and universities and and people in power that are that are covering these things up and not assisting the victims and placing the perpetrators first and it's not okay it wasn't okay then and it's not okay today let's hear another clip from the film then I want to present this this, this whole theme to Marjorie Schwartz Nielsen that and a running theme through the film it happened here it is that it's this type of thing is still going on today here's a clip number three this is uh, a survivor of uh, sexual assault Sarah O'Brien from uh, Vanderbilt I chose not to report it there was a bowler who was assaulted in 2007 and I had heard horror stories about what happened to her she was also assaulted by Vanderbilt football players that she thought were her friends. She ended up leaving Vanderbilt because of her experience with that. And so I didn't feel comfortable talking about it. Most women I've talked to do not necessarily want to report she may not want to be public about what happened to her. She may not want to have to go through all the tests, telling her story over and over again, having it written down, having someone challenge it. There is, um, you know, I think a real reluctance on the part of students to come forward. Sometimes they know their attacker and, and sometimes they were friends with their attacker. Um, and, you know, sometimes I think for many of them, they're, they're doing everything they can to figure out how to put it behind them, sometimes not all that successfully. To some degree, colleges and universities are playing catch-up with challenges that they weren't adequately aware we had. I think the question now is, given the awareness, how do we, how do we act? We have to be judged on the basis of how we now respond when it's been brought to our attention. That's from the film It Happened Here, and we heard first uh, from Sarah O'Brien, is a victim of uh, sexual assault uh, in at Vanderbilt, and then uh, there are some various experts on, on the reporting. Just to corroborate that, in Utah, and I'm getting this from the Savvy Office, in Utah, just under 10% of victims report to law enforcement. Uh, so, uh, Marjorie Schwartz Nielsen, some reasons there why women don't want to come forward, don't want to participate in the, in the prosecution. Um, beginning with Dr. Harrison Cronin, who spoke right after Sarah about a reluctance to report. What we understand now is it's so important to support and believe survivors, and that very often can predict their recovery. And when survivors have come forth, as we have seen also in the film, um, they are doubted, they are shamed, they're discouraged from reporting. They're very often told to forgive and forget. They're told maybe you should take off from school and come back after he graduates. So Sarah's experience, um, as she mentions, she chose not to report because she had heard all these horror stories, not uncommon at other schools, where 
um, they just don't believe you. You're just shamed. And also if there's been alcohol or drugs involved and you're underage, women are very reluctant to come forth because they're afraid that they'll be in trouble for that. So schools, law enforcement, et cetera, first of all, need to let students know, no matter what condition, no matter what happened, we believe you, we support you. Alcohol did not assault you. A perpetrator assaulted you. So you won't be punished for underage drinking, let's say. Um, we know that schools strive to protect themselves, and athletes bring in a lot of school dollars, as we've just seen from Missouri football team. Um, schools are very reluctant to uh, come out against um, their sports organizations. So that's something that we have to work with coaches and administrators on. Coaches really need to work with their athletes. Um, where else? Let's see. Doc, uh, you had Dr. Cronin in there. You had Sarah, the dean of students at Harvard, spoke about what he sees and students coming forth, um, not always reporting because everyone's got a different response. You could wait a year, which is often the average time before reporting, or even longer. And then students are really not believed because, well, if it happened a year ago, why didn't you say something? Police don't often believe you because they believe you should have come to them. And students are very reluctant to go to, the, to police. It's a, scary, it's a scary prospect going to law enforcement when you're 18, 19 at a new school in a new place. Um, that was also Dr. Biddy Martin, who is the president of Amherst College, who was... Um, had come to Amherst one year after Angie had published her letter. Angie had written a letter to her school paper about her experience. She had not reported it until many months later. And now Dr. Martin is really trying to, to make changes on that campus. Listening to students is very important and learning how we can not just respond but prevent. Let me turn back to uh, Brenda Tracy. Um, your um, you know, your assault happened, uh, I guess, near the, the campus of Oregon State University. There's two of these were Oregon State University football players. Now you're back in a very interesting position, sexual violence prevention consultant at that university. There's a Utah connection here, by the way, that you may know of. Uh, coach Gary Anderson, who's now there, was Utah State University's uh, uh, coach. Are, are you working with the, the, the athletics there as well as you're part of your job there? Yeah, I am, um, and, and it is an interesting story, and I, and I hope that people pick up on the fact that my rape did happen there um, and the response of the, of the college today when I came forward because the university system really can predict future healing for victims, and they can definitely uh, derail someone in, in a very easy way, or they can help them to prosper and heal in the future. And what happened for me is when I came forward with my story, uh, Oregon State University, especially President Ed Ray, embraced me immediately. He immediately issued an apology for what had happened to me. He and immediately believed me, supported me, um, and said, you know, what can we do to help you and help you through this? And that is very, very, very important because there's this thing we know that is called institutional betrayal, and that institutional be betrayal can be even more harmful and traumatizing than the actual rape itself. And for me, coming forward, having that support from them, um, working with them, having them hire me as a consultant, which really validates them saying, not only do we believe you, but we want to hear what you have to say. We think you have something to offer. We think that you could help us. Giving me access to the athletes on campus, all the students, having me speak um, and consult with them really validates my experience 
um, and where I am in my process of healing and has really helped me move forward with my life and do what I'm doing now. And I think that other schools should learn by example by what President Ed Ray is doing and all of his staff there because really this is a top-down issue. If we don't have leadership from the top down, we're not going to get anywhere. There's a lot of people on the ground that are from the you know bottom up working on this, but we really need leadership at all these universities to set the example. And I hope that other universities will see that universities can embrace survivors. You can embrace us, you can work with us, and we can collaborate and we can make our campuses more safe. Marjorie Schwartz-Nielsen, what, what do you think is uh, how, to, how to make institutional I change? I, I think, and that's what I've heard from administrators on and off camera, it does begin from the top. It does begin with leadership, and it also begins with listening to students. We have to listen to what their experiences are and their recommendations, because they really can teach us how to proceed, how we can create um, advocacy, resources, um, as well as prevention programs. And it's got to be robust prevention programs. It can't just be an orientation your first week of school. It has to be a continuing process, a continuing awareness. And I believe every organization on campus needs to get involved, especially this um, athletics, marching bands, all the fraternities, the pan-Hellenic life. Those organizations can really be advocates and can be really helpful. And I think it's, you know, public condemnation. It's got to be the social disapproval of athletes against other athletes that make that behavior unacceptable. Um, I think within teams, within those organizations, it's really peer-to-peer that will, I believe, lead to prevention and a rethinking towards a culture of respect and healthy relationships and positive relationships. I think it's really extraordinary, that um, Brenda, that you've come forth all these years later. I think the national conversation has made exponential gains thanks to women and men survivors coming forth and talking about their, their experiences and administrations standing up, being called on the carpet by all the Title IX issues, um, which they don't want to be called out on. But I do believe the conversation has to stay, stay loud. If you, yeah. just, if you just joined us, we're talking with Brenda Tracy and Marjorie Schwartz-Nielsen. We're hearing clips from the film It Happened Here. We're talking about sexual assault on campus. I'm not sure if I cut someone out. Did I cut you off, uh, Brenda? You were going to comment? Oh, no, I was disagreeing. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, the number to call is 1-800-826-1495, or you can email us to upraxis at gmail.com. I'm interested uh, especially in resources in the community where you are. We'll give some resources as we go, go along as well. Uh, here at Utah State University, it's the Sexual Assault um, um, Awareness and Anti- Sexual Assault and Anti-Violence Information Office, SAVI, S-A-A-V-I, is what you could Google. There are many resources out there. We'll give those as we uh, go along. Uh, this, I want to talk a little bit about culture um, and rape culture. We have a clip uh, on that. But this stood out to me, and I found this at the Savvy site. Nationwide, one-third of college men reported they would rape a woman if they knew they would not get caught. Uh, that's that's mind-boggling. It's depressing. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, it's frightening. I, it is, it is frightening. I don't know. Just to have each of you comment on that, starting with Marjorie. Well, at, 
um, as you may remember from the film, we were showing all these examples of rape culture and how it is just so normatized. You have flyers going around instructing men how to rape women. Um, you have 10 steps to rape a woman and to protect yourself. And it becomes kind of a joke, this misogyny and this threatening kind of language and behavior. And again, this is where I really call on all students to call each other out on that. It's, it's not a joke. That language and that attitude really creates an environment that fosters assault. I think predators within the, you know, within the systems and communities, when they hear that kind of language and jokes and flyers and pictures and sexting and social media, it, it kind of gives them the okay that, well, it's okay to treat women and other people like this. Um, and it is a culture that's just got to be, it's, we just have to become very aware of it, of the images, of the messages that we're giving. And we know it doesn't start in college. We know this doesn't begin in college. This starts in high school. And even earlier, again, I believe in such early education, to, um, to see how we treat each other, how we speak about each other, how we speak about sex. It's, it all kind of dovetails into respecting each other's respecting each other and not violating each other. This, this statistic, one-third of college men report they would rape a woman if they knew they would not get caught, and I, I suspect that's probably under-reporting it. Some men maybe have that feeling but don't want to say that to a surveyor. Uh, what do you think, Brenda Tracy? What, what do you think about this? Well, the, the number is appalling, and it's, it's extremely disturbing. And for me, when I first came forward, um, I... I felt like I, I saw that there was kind of a um, this this gap in in our response system and our education where we're not really talking to men. I feel like there's a lot of focus on women and women ending rape and women ending sexual violence and how do women protect themselves. It was all women, 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 and I was thinking, you know, where where are all these organizations for educating men and where how are we empowering men and how are we empowering the good men to speak up and what are we doing in that area? And that's really where a lot of my passion and my focus is, um, especially with colleges, I believe that athletics and fraternities um, have a lot of influence on the campus. So uh, for me, I feel like if we can empower our our because I believe that there are good there are good men on our campuses. There are good men that don't agree with what's happening. Um, they're not okay with what's happening, but they're not speaking out. And I want to educate and empower these men to speak up and speak out and kind of shift that culture because right now we're socializing our men, and it does start early. It starts before college, but I feel like we socialize our boys and our men to kind of be non-human. Like you're, if, if you do anything that's female or like a woman, that's bad. Um, you know, if you throw like a girl, that's, that's an insult. We're not allowing our men to be, have emotions or to be vulnerable or to talk about things. They're just supposed to be tough and they're entitled and they kind of grow up kind of viewing women as um, something to dominate and something that they're, they're owed or they're entitled to. And then if you have um, kind of a frat or an you know an athlete and we place more entitlement on them because they're special on campus, then it can really go awry and it really can create this really awful culture. So I really want to start focusing on men because men are the ones who can stop this culture. If women could have stopped rape, we would have stopped it a long time ago. 
And for me, asking women to stop rape is was like asking a child to stop child abuse. We have to start looking at the perpetrators. We have to start looking at the people around the perpetrators and shifting culture, like has already been mentioned. We have to start having people around calling each other out and speaking up that this is not okay. Um, and I think that's really probably the only way we're going to be able to shift those numbers um, that we're seeing because a third, I, I think you're right, I think that's underreported. I think the conversation continues to masculinity, hypermasculinity. What is it to be a man these days? If you're an athlete that's lauded by your community and you're bringing in millions of dollars to, uni- to your university and you're an 18-year-old kid who's suddenly, you know, just catapulted to these heights and you just have a sense of yourself and your masculinity, you might not see what you're doing as rape or assault. You might just think, you know what I am. I'm a guy, I'm, a man, I'm an athlete, this is what we do. And that's also part of the conversation is what is it to be a man and what is it to be masculine? And I think it's men looking at other men and saying you cannot put a roofie in that drink. You cannot get this girl drunk and take her upstairs. You cannot walk through a bar carrying an incapacitated woman out the door. And that's going to be other men stopping other men and knowing that that's okay to do, that men really can speak out and stop other men who might not even know what they're doing. And I will give some of them, I'll, I'll let some of them off the hook, but barely, barely. These are, these are very calculated. Right, very right. <laughs> I agree. You know, it's, but, you know, as Dr. David Lisak says, yes, there are the one-offs, and yes, there might be men that don't really understand what consent is about. So, hence the education. This really is a conversation about consent. What does that mean? And I'm not saying, can I touch you here, can I touch you there? I'm saying about understanding a positive, healthy, intimate relationship. And, and so what schools have been creating are consent workshops. Um, how do you talk to each other? How do you relate to each other, men and women, men and men, women and women? There's abuse in all the relationships. Uh, let's, uh, I, I want to... Conversation. Yeah. I want to... Um... I want to hear a PSA. This is I found this on uh, on the website for it happened here the film, um, and you'll hear I think late in this clip Vice President Biden. You'll hear President Obama. You hear a lot of men. You hear some women, a lot of men. This mm-hmm. is the it's on us uh, PSA. It's on us to stop sexual assault. To get in the way before it happens. To get a friend home safe. And to not blame the victim. It's on us to look out for each other. To To not not look the other way. It's on us to stand up. To step in. To take responsibility. It's on us, all of us, to to stop stop sexual sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. And there are other programs. I know here at the campus of Utah State University, every uh, spring they have a Walk a Mile in Her Shoes campaign where men, you know, take a pledge and... Walk, walk in high heels, you know, across campus to, to you know, to take ownership of this, uh, of the for the solution. And uh, that's of course what we've been talking about. Uh, let's take a break, and then when we come back, more on this. We're talking about sexual assault, especially on campus. We're talking with Marjorie Schwartz Nielsen, producer of the documentary film It Happened Here, and Brenda Tracy, uh, who is a sexual violence prevention consultant at Oregon State University. Hey, what's up? I'm Shad. Memoirist and advice columnist Cheryl Strait has inspired many readers with her takes on other people's problems and her own. 
Now she's collected her most famous quotes for a new book. I'll speak with Cheryl Strait about the words and phrases that lift our spirits. That's coming up on Q from PRI, Public Radio International. Join us Thursday afternoon at 1 on Utah Public Radio. You know the deal, right? Digital killed the music industry? Yeah, not so. You know, the way we're projecting out right now, uh, music is bigger than it's ever been before. I'm Kai Rizdal, music manager, venture capitalist, and CEO Troy Carter. Next time on Marketplace from APM. Join us tonight at 6.30 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah today. We're talking about the very serious problem of sexual assault, especially on campus. We're in the red zone. That is recognized as the most dangerous time period for incoming female freshmen. From the first day of school to Thanksgiving breaks, when females are at most risk for sexual assault on college campuses. Of course, that's not the only time they're at risk. One in four college women have survived rape or attempted rape. Uh, that's a startling statistic. Um, and, and I think... I'm not sure I'd, I, I could theorize, and I'll, I'll pose this first to Brenda Trace. I could theorize that uh, maybe it's just too troubling for a lot of us to think about. So we kind of push it aside, and we don't want to think about this. Oh, yeah, of course we do. I'm, absolutely, I think that we do. I think that, um, you know, one of the things when I came forward, I was I was scared to come forward with my story because I felt that, you know, I'd seen the media rip other stories apart. Um, and I was afraid that that would happen to me also. Um, so it was pretty scary, but I think that we try to find, I think society tries to find um, any type of, of, of misleading detail or, or anything in a story because we don't want to believe it. And, you know, one of the things about my story is we, we don't want to believe that a gang rape could happen in our community. We don't want to believe that something that awful could happen, and we don't want to believe these numbers. We don't want to believe that a third of the men are reporting that, yes, I would do this, or that one in four women are being raped on our campus. It's easier just to say, well, I don't think so. I think, you know, they were, it was just drunken sex, or, you know, we try to rationalize it because it is so horrible and it is so horrific. And I think that is what many of us are, have been doing, and I think we have to stop doing that. We have to stop minimizing the issue and we have to start listening to survivors like myself and all of the women in the movie that this is happening. I am living proof that this is happening and listen to me, listen to me, believe me, support me and help me to change this culture so that this is no longer happening because until we face it and accept it as truth, it's not going to change. I'd like to talk a little bit about... I agree. Uh, yeah, I think go ahead. sexual assault is a conversation that nobody wants to have. And thankfully to this burgeoning movement of students and women and men, uh, we're having it, and it's undeniable. And I think we all understand there is an epidemic on our campuses. Um, and there is always, as you had just mentioned, the desire to divert the conversation. There's a Rolling Stone article that's... So we talk about false allegations, which we know are really under 8% are false allegations. And so we would prefer to talk about that or the legal system um, not working or the 2.5% that actually take legal action as opposed to the 94% that are not false accusations. 
I think there's always a desire to shift the conversation to, well, it's about alcohol. Um, and it's about, you know, boys being boys. But the, but I think now with social media, which has just kick-started the conversation and the movement, we are talking about it and we are beginning to address it. I'm encouraged. I mean, I'm personally very inspired by the women that I met and the professionals all along the way that are bringing this to the national forefront. Because it was when I began the project in April 13, there were four schools under investigation. Today, there's over 124. That's two years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and so you you were hopeful, I suppose, that this will bring about institutional change. Yes, absolutely. I think you know the cat is out of the bag. The toothpaste is out of the tube. We know what's going on on campus. It's undeniable. Um, it's a conversation that is now in the, the national spotlight. So now what are we going to do? That's, that's the question. Okay, how do we move forward from education and awareness to taking action, to taking meaningful action? Mm-hmm. And I think schools, administrators, are many of them are really trying and grappling with this epidemic. And they, I hope, will begin to provide the resources and, and the, you know, the necessary advocacy for the accused, for the victims, um, as well as, as, as you mentioned before, just a continuing awareness, continuing education. It's got to be all year long, and it's got to be for four years. Um, and I'm glad, Brenda, for, to keep it going, to keep the activism going. I mean, as students graduate, and then who will then maintain the activism on campuses and the awareness? That's, how, that's also something that we're looking into. Uh, Brenda Tracy, I wonder, you know, 17 years later, uh, has there been institutional change either on campus or you know with the with the prosecution uh, prosecutor's office or both where your case would have been handled better well i I think that's a difficult question for me to ask. I think that I don't know that I've seen any concrete changes system wide, but I think that because we're having a conversation, we're moving in that direction. Momentum is building. Things are being done. I think that, you know, lasting, impactful changes maybe we won't see right now immediately. But what's happening is we're talking about it. People are doing things. Um, Oregon State University just started a sexual advocacy resource center since I came forward with my story. Um, They are hiring new staff, support systems, men's engagement. I mean, they're just doing a lot of things. Um, And they're facing the problem head on. And they're they're willing to say we're overwhelmed by the number of reports that are coming in. And I'm proud of them for that. I'm proud of them for saying we're overwhelmed by the number of reports that we're getting because that means they're doing something. And that means that the students on that campus feel safe enough to report and that they're responding. And I think that's also an important piece of this discussion is that if we have a campus that is saying rape's not a problem, we're not getting reports, then the students don't feel safe there to report. So right now we're seeing an increase in, in reports on a lot of campuses, which is a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, but as time goes on and as the years evolve and we can p- continue to be active, I think hopefully we'll see those numbers kind of plateau and start to go down, because not because we're covering it up and we're ignoring it, but because we're actually responding to it and prevention efforts are uh, working. So I think it's... We're in the we're in a process right now. Marjorie Schwartz I I was um, in in the film. This is I saw in the trailer. Um, she says, and I don't know who it is. She says it's very simple. 
don't drink alcohol, you know, check your drink, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And of course, that gets uncomfortably close to McDonald's from the Manhattan Institute in New York City. Okay. Um, and she believes that if women didn't drink and didn't go to, you know, just did their work and went home, that rape would stop happening. And that's one point of view that we needed to show that, you know, every movie needs to show both sides. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but no, clearly that's that's not our point of view. Um, well, and and I think I think that you know I, I, my reaction was probably the reaction that you were hoping I, <laughs> that the viewer would have, mm-hmm. which was I can't believe she just said that. Yeah, uh, but a lot of that. And, and so so hopefully we're you know and we, I don't think we have gone there in this program, but I think people will be wondering, you know, young women will be wondering. Uh, we've talked about culture, we've talked about institutional change, and hopefully some good things are happening there. But what about individually? What what can what can young women do? Um, I, I think you know women and men. I mean, once I'm, I not to digress, but we need to discuss that one out of sixteen men on college campuses are sexually assaulted or raped, um, and that's not necessarily gay rape. That is, um, you know, ritualized ritualized assault through hazing and pledging rituals, um, and men are very reticent and rarely come forth. But there's been a lot of trauma and there's been a lot of suicide in the male community. Um, so that's something that's also just got to be presented out there. I think um, alcohol is a problem. It's, it is the number one date rape drug. I think, especially in the red zone, as we began this program with, when students are coming forth and there's not parental oversight and they don't have their um, you know, support systems and you want to fit in, there's a lot of pressure to drink, and boom, there you are suddenly getting fed alcohol or trying to keep up, and you are putting yourself in a vulnerable situation. And that's where the bystander intervention really figures in. If you see someone that is just not in a place where they could consent or they're even safe, you just got to take them home. You got to keep your eye on them. I've got two kids, one just graduated college, one that's in college, who've been living with me during this for so long, um, that are just keenly aware. If you just see someone that's too out of it, you just step in. You just have to. Mm. Or everybody has a cell phone. You can make a phone call. You can call 911. Um, The Vanderbilt football players that had been arrested just before we got there, um, security and the police happened to arrive at the scene. I wonder if things might have progressed through the legal system as they have, um, had that not been caught on camera by security. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brent no Tracy. One up, no one said anything. No one did anything. Yeah. People just walked on by. Yeah, that's tragic. Uh, Brent Tracy, I wonder what you, what you say on this, this issue of prevention. Well, I, I first want to say that it, it's never the victim's fault. Um, it's hard for, hard for me to talk about individual safety with this issue because we've, we've turned it into it being something about the women, the, the woman or the victim or the man preventing their own rape and somehow it's their fault. So I think that I would also like to really talk about the bystanders. I really like to talk about that we all really need to be aware um, when we're at parties and, and we're out and things and just, and just being keen on what's going on around you um, and, and being hopefully around like-minded people too. I mean, we just really have to start empowering people that we, we don't want this to happen anymore. And then everyone has some, that everyone can do something. It doesn't have to be that you're actually intervening at the point of a, of a violent rape and you're putting yourself in danger. It could be just like 
like we've said before, you see a girl who's just too drunk, and so take her home, get her home safely, or you see a guy that's really feeding a girl a lot of alcohol, and maybe he's not drinking as much, and he's leaving her to right. her room, you know? There's there's many, many, many things that we can do to intervene. Um, I think and alcohol, do it anonymously or, or just a, a small thing. You, you, were, you were saying uh, alcohol provides yeah, camouflage? Well, alcohol at parties, it provides a camouflage for predators. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, they sort of walk into a situation, they see that there's a lot of alcohol, they see that people are bringing in a lot of young women, and it kind of creates an environment that allows them to move on through. And alcohol does, you know, it, it, it does create more risk, and that's, again, where each other have to look out. I'm, I'm, everyone is allowed to do what they want to do, wear what they want, drink what they want. Um, but know that you are more vulnerable, and you have to just step up awareness for each we, other. We just have a couple of minutes left. I'd like to give uh, each of you about a minute. Uh, resources. Just, just you know, list off some resources for me where, where people can go. Um, well, there's Know Your Nine. If you did want to take action against your school, there's a Know Your Nine movement um, to learn about programs that your school can implement in terms of education and awareness and prevention. There's Culture of Respect. There's a new organization that's in Portland, Oregon, that we love called um, S Sexual Assault in High Schools, and uh, Stop Sexual Assault in Schools, working at the high school level, um, prevention before you even get to college. Um, there's uh, CalCASAs. I live in Los Angeles, and throughout California, there's rape centers and advocacy advocates that are there to help. That's my local. Okay. Uh, uh, Brenda Tracy, what resources? Yeah, um, I think nationally one of the organizations I like also, um, Know Your Nine, and then also End Rape on Campus, um, yes. I think is great. So there's a lot of those resources that can help you navigate Title IX and things that are going on on your campuses. Um, here in Oregon, we have our Oregon Sexual Assault Task Force, which is a good resource. Um, they deal with people who are on campus or off campus. There's um, centers against rape and domestic violence um, in our various counties and cities. But really, the Sexual Assault Task Force has a website that has different resources based on different counties um, that people can get connected to. And... Um, I, that was, it's probably the main place in our state where you could really go and find some good resources. And we'll get those on our website. A couple I mentioned here at the end, it seemed interesting, Pact 5 is a national movement to, on some campuses to prevent sexual assaults, and not on my campus, another another movement. I think Rain is another one. Uh, so there's some good resources, and uh, we'll get some of those up on our, our website. Uh, Brenda Tracy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, and Marjorie Schwartz-Nielsen, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And, uh, of course, much more to say. You can comment at upraxis at gmail.com. This conversation can continue. Hope you'll join us tomorrow, of course, uh, for a news roundup from the Salt Lake Tribune. It's called Behind the Headlines, and it's coming your way in this hour. And on Monday, we have a world-class uh, mountain cl- rock climber, uh, Alex Hunold. And a biography on Frank Sinatra. That's our subject for Tuesday. Hope you join us next week. Thanks for listening today. Sexual assault has been around forever, certainly through my lifetime. So the idea that what's happening now is an effect of what's called hookup culture strikes me as 
absurd in a sense, by which I don't mean there's no relationship of risk or association, but sexual assault didn't start with this generation. I'm Jeremy Hobson. If you look back at the history of Islam, you'll find that the establishment of the first Muslim caliphate was a political conquest, not a religious one. So we have Muslim rule spreading, but not the religion of Islam. The inhabitants of these areas that came under Muslim rule remained largely Christian. That's next time on Here and Now. Join us Thursday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. A service of the College of Humanities and Social Science at Utah State University, this is Utah Public Radio. Thank you for tuning in to Access Utah. The time now is 10 o'clock. Coming up next is Zesty Garden.